You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. In this episode, we're looking at The Servant. The Servant is a 1963 black comedy drama directed by Joseph Losey and starring Dirk Bogard as Hugo Barrett, James Fox as Tony, Sarah Miles as Vera and Wendy Craig as Susan. It's from a script by iconic British playwright Harold Pinter. The soundtrack is by Brit jazz legend John Dankworth and a big mention for Douglas Slocum's cinematography. Lindsay, what's this film about? Aristocratic drunk Tony buys a new house in 1960s Chelsea. I've kind of assumed it's Chelsea, actually. It is Chelsea. It definitely is Chelsea. And he hires Hugo Barrett to be his manservant to the dismay of Tony's middle-class fiancée, Susan. Barrett acts like he knows Tony better than Susan does and they do seem very at home together. At the same time, any time Susan and Tony are getting close or making out, Barrett comes on the scene to interrupt and generally spoil their fun. Tony doesn't mind, but it's clear that once they're married, Susan will show Barrett the door. Into this complicated ménage à trois, Barrett introduces his supposed sister Vera, who promptly seduces Tony, though Tony thinks he's the predator and not the prey. But Barrett has arranged the whole thing. Coming home early from a weekend away, Tony and Susan surprise Barrett and Vera in a very unsibling-like situation. Barrett makes sure that Susan knows all about Tony and Vera, and Susan breaks off the engagement. Later plot to follow. Mm-hmm. Gary, what's wrong with this picture? Well, I had to make a list, really. <laughs> I had to make a <laughs> list. Polymorphous perversity. Polymorphous perversity. Class revenge. Um, a haunted house of horror that doesn't have any ghosts in it. Uh, and a performance of such sleaze from Dirk Bogard that you need a cold shower after watching the film. Um, and this is from a guy who, up until this point, had been a mainstream heartthrob whose biggest successes were in a series of pre-carry-on type movies called The Doctor Series. Um, it's weird. It was super weird in the context of 1963 British film. So weird. Um Weird to the point where all the critics got it, but I don't think many people went to see it. It's, what is it, 60 years later, and it's still... Weird. Really weird. It's still really weird. I've I've written down, what's wrong with this picture? Gay subtext. Well, I say subtext. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, is, it is pretty... Heavy on the sub. Yes, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is pretty um, overt, so... At one point, you know, when um, Barrett is, is, is kind of being interviewed for the job and Tony says to him, can you cook? And he said, well, I can cook a souffle. I mean, surely the gayest dish that he <laughs> yeah. could have mentioned. I think he puts put it, and I, I really want to try and do his, his accent, and I don't know if I'll be able to, to nail it. Uh, but I've, I made a um, uh, note of that line as well because I loved it so much. And I think he says, my souffles have always received a great deal of praise. <laughs> 
And then later on, you know, they're talking about the interior decoration because this is a new house and it's like it needs furnished, it needs decorated. And so uh, I can't do the, 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 the accent. <laughs> no, or maybe I will. Neither can I. But, uh, <laughs> but Barrett says, Mandarin pink and fuchsia are all the rage. <laughs> and it's like these surely even to a 1963 audience. And um, yeah. I mean, this is after Victim, isn't it? I think Victim is 61. It's after Victim. Vic- so Victim is a, is a film where Dick Bo- Dirk Bogard played uh, a gay solicitor who's Who kind of who's been blackmailed. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. It's. I mean, it's a brave. It's a brave. This also. I mean, he's a he's a gay man, and he was a gay man in in, yep. in real life. So he's been quite overt about it at a time when homosexuality was still illegal. Still illegal, not legal in Britain until the 1967 Sexual mm. Offences Act. And there's a an, another scene in it which I only noticed this time round, and it's I must have watched this film half a dozen times because mm. I'm. I'm you know, let me say now. This is one of my favourite films ever, um, where you see James Fox uh, in bed. Uh, James Fox's uh, Tony character in bed with uh, Wendy Craig, and it, the camera pans up the wall, and the photos are of muscle men. Oh, really? From, pulled from a muscle magazine, which implies very strongly that Tony yeah. has some gayness going on yeah. before before Barrett, uh, Barrett degrades him. Yeah, before Barrett kind of. Starts pushing his buttons. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's shouting at the audience um, about a gay subtext, but so brilliantly done. Not in an, enough of a way where the film would get banned or shut down mm. or, or, or or anything. Because you know, in the end, you're not going to see two guys kissing. You're mm. not get, seeing two guys in bed. You're not. You're not getting two men confessing their love to each other. You're not getting yeah. any of that. Um, but. To anybody who has a half of sense in, you know, an ounce of sense in the early sixties, they know exactly what's. Yeah, absolutely, going on. and I think it's it's very much a film of two halves. I think so. There are mm. there are there are two kind of periods of time when Barrett is Tony's servant. So in the in the the first half, um, this this lasts until Tony and Susan discover Barrett and Vera in flagrante, and um, Barrett gets sacked. They both get kind of sent from the house. And that's the end of the first half, really. Yes. Spot on. And then through kind of various machinations, uh, Susan has left Tony, has broken off the engagement because he was shagging Vera. And um, Tony and Barrett meet up in a pub on opposite sides of... So in British pubs, there used to be this kind of... The, there was the lounge and there was the, yeah. the saloon. Yeah. And the, the lounge is for the kind of uh, the posher people and the saloon was for the poorer people. And um, they meet kind of uh, with a, a kind of mirrored bar in between them, yeah. and 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 at that point, Tony uh, agrees. This is a film even more full of mirrors than the Black Swan. Yeah, it's obsessed yeah. with mirrors, yeah. and they're all, a lot of them are convex. You know those mirrors that kind of face yes. out, so you get a very kind of fisheye exactly. lens type appeal. And and to me, that says the world is upside down. The yeah, British class distorted. class system, which is so stratified and codified in 1963. I mean, we were talking about it's the 60s, 67 or something, with the Lady Charlie's Lover trial. Yeah, yeah. And the judge says something like, "This is not a book you would want your servants to read." And and so, <laughs> yeah. but you can imagine that in this one, Barrett has read it kind of cover yes, to cover. Yes, many times. And yeah, he's very and, familiar with it. And, he's very, and, and probably thought it was really soft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I'm really glad you brought up that scene because there are there are so many fantastic scenes in this, but that's my favourite scene. Mm. It's the pub, and as you say, it starts part two of the movie. Yeah. 
And uh, this is a film about the balance of power between two people. And the, this is where the power shifts. I don't know if the power shifts. I think Barrett's always had the power, but it was hidden in part one. I think it's more overt in part two. Yeah, OK, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go with that. I guess the way I see it is, in the first one, he is, in the first half of the film, he's taking the piss. But he gets found out and, and every, you know, Tony still feels empowered to fire mm-hmm. him. After the pub. Um, yeah. That, 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 that's all Yeah, rough. yeah. And, he's not uh, getting fired. No, he's not getting fired. And... That pub yeah, scene, I buy that actually. That uh, the pub scene is, uh, as you point out, you know, the brilliant device of, you know, the, Tony the posh one is sitting in the sal- in the lounge, and you know, uh, Barrett is sitting in the saloon, you know, to to absolutely demonstrate their class differences. But it's the way it's shot that Barrett is talking, and he's talking through the stems of a bunch of flowers. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah, and it's. It's brilliant. And these flowers are arranged so they partly obscure his face. And in the background is this woman, just this woman yeah. sitting alone. And the way she's backgrounded, it makes you think she, this woman knows them and is going to play some part in this. Or that maybe the, 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 the camera will suddenly focus and it's either Wendy Craig or Sarah Miles. Nope. Yeah. It's just this red herring. Yeah. She's just this person distracting your attention and then also Dirk Bogard is so great in this um, in this scene before you know previously he he was sleazy and and you know there's no two ways about it and the film is also as well as being obsessed with mirrors is obsessed with cleanliness and dirt yes but now his hair is lank and greasy he's got stubble his eyes are tired as if he's been crying, and he loses all dignity, supposedly, in begging for his place back. Yeah. Um, he gets his place back, but soon we have this quite awesome, awesome scene, one of the key, again, one of the key scenes in the whole film, where Tony and, and, and uh, Barrett are together in the house, and Barrett has completely taken over, and now they are, a, a grotesque parody of a married couple. Shall I, shall I go on with some plot? Please there, do. So, uh, I said before, Susan has broken off the engagement. The later plot, living alone, Tony is going from bad to worse. A chance encounter in a pub brings Barrett back into his life and they resume their life of domestic bliss in their now bachelor pad. (laughs) This time round, though, they are on a much more equal footing, not so much Downton Abbey as the odd couple, if the odd couple took LSD and had orgies. Susan tries to get back into Tony's life, but there's only one master of the house now. Mm, Nice, nice. And without spoiler, nice. (laughs) Yeah, great plot plot summary. Yes, Uh, and there's a fabulous scene, um, again, which has one of my favourite lines in it. Basically... Basically, Dirk Bogard is parodying the kind of women, you know, just a bit of context. Um, 
1963, by this time, the whole angry young man kitchen sink drama British New Wave is in full effect. Um, those films um, definitely ser- served their purpose in terms of rebellion and changing cinema, you know, in Britain and whatever. But they were mostly sexist as fuck. Uh, they were full of, you know, guys mm. mansplaining mm. And, and women being annoying kind of, um, what's the word, balls and chain to, the, yeah. to their yeah. freedom and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I don't know how much Pinter was taking the piss out of this, but I think he was. Basically, Dirk Bogard is playing one of these women yeah. who is just nagging yeah. um, a pathetic Tony who is now a, a complete alcoholic who can barely, you know, stand up um, and banging on him about he doesn't get a job and, you know, whatever. And at one point he says, do you know butter's gone up two pence a pound? <laughs> it's just the delivery of these lines. There's a, a critic called Philip Kemp and uh, what he said about... Um, Bogart's performance, but mainly his accent, is it's embodying a whole history of festering class resentment. Yeah, absolutely. He's meant he's meant to be from Manchester, and of course, Manchester and the North in particular, Nottingham, whatever, was meant to be like the 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 epicenter of these uh, angry angry young men or the the kind of kitchen sink uh, dramas um, that we'd seen. Brilliant. Another another line I really like. So uh, yeah, at this point they've got this weird domesticity domesticity going on, but as you say. Barrett is very much kind of in charge of everything now and Tony's a bit... And Barrett says to him at some point, oh yeah, I've got something for you from the nice little man in German Street. I didn't know what that meant, but apparently it's LSD. And wow. that was that was where you great went reference. to get your acid in the 60s. Wow, and great And so he's got, he's got him, he's got him on, on LSD. Oh, and, you uh, always unearth something I didn't know, Lindsay. <laughs> that is brilliant. And But you can see this kind of... This bad acid trip that is now yeah. Tony's life, yeah. And they play these, so they play these games in the house. You know, they, yeah. they, they're kind of boys living together, like Chandler and Joey and friends. You know what yeah. I mean? They got, except really you know, dark, really dark, <laughs> really dark. So they they play these games, and you know they're playing a ball game. And um, uh, he says he says at, at one point, uh, oh God, am I going to manage it? It's something about. Oh, I'm in, now in a place where they just just chuck balls at your face, says Barrett. <laughs> so that's that's one of the games that they play. Yeah, I mean that couldn't be clearer, could it? But the other game they play, which is so, they, 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 there is this definite kind of gay text, this yeah. this kind of married couple vibe they've got yeah. going on. However willing a participant Tony is, he's definitely he's definitely in it. But but it's got this sinister edge as well. So they play this game of hide and seek. And, you know, if you think that Tony is probably off his nuts on LSD mm. and he's hiding in the shower and Barrett is coming to find him and it's terrifying. Yeah. It's maybe it's the like scariest horror. game. It's so... And, and he says... And Barrett's kind of coming up the stairs and you you see this kind of quite German expressionist type lighting on yeah. on uh, on uh, James Fox's face as 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 Tony he's hiding in the shower there's these shadows all around him his eyes are kind of darting he's terrified and Barrett's coming up the stairs saying you've got a guilty secret and you're going to be caught <laughs> and it's it's like it's like something out of um uh, League of Gentlemen or something. Yeah. It's, it's that yeah, kind of scariness. That's, well, that's a good comparison, actually. And actually, when Dirk Bo- Bogard is being his particular kind of butter's gone up two pence, but he really reminded me of Rhys Shearsmith when Rhys Shearsmith is playing yeah. a gay character. That kind of very he, he he does it he does it all the time actually. Yeah. Kind of quite prissy, quite yeah, very very stereotypically gay. Yeah. And and that's what Dirk Bogard is doing as well. And I just I just kind of a thought prissy that queen. Kind of, There's no yeah, doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, There's yeah, no doubt about yeah. it. I think. 
I, there, there might be some good reasons why <coughs> Joseph Losey, um, who is an American director mm-hmm. uh, living and working in Britain by this point, might be able to, um, what's the word, channel some festering class resentment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes, Joseph Losey was um, blacklisted uh, by Hollywood and, you know, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that, but, but just in case you're not, there was a, a massive kind of communist witch hunt in um, America, which started in the 30s, reached Hollywood in 1947 and kind of went throughout the 50s as well. And anyone who was suspected or confirmed of being a member of the Communist Party or really even just having leftist leanings, uh, some people were formally blacklisted and told they they couldn't work uh, or initially 10 people were sent to jail for contempt of court by refusing to confirm or deny that they were in a Communist Party. Others, uh, less officially, were what's called grey-listed. They weren't officially told mm. that they couldn't they work, but they just didn't. Magically didn't get any work. Magically didn't get any work. And people took um, took different tacks. Sometimes people worked under pseudonyms mm-hmm. and or they worked with a, a front, a person who would say they had written something mm-hmm. and share the money for it. Um, but other people just went into exile and uh, Joseph Losey was one of those and he moved to, to Britain and really made uh, most of his... Most of his later films actually were, were made in Britain. He made one great uh, noir called The Prowler uh, in mm. America before oh, he left. Great, and that is a great movie, which is which is really good and worth checking out if you yeah. haven't if you haven't seen it. So you know his his American I really, films. Are worth I really it as well. like his his remake of M. I yeah, really yeah. do like his. Re- of course, it's not the Fritz Lang original, which is which is you know if you know your movies, you know it's one of the best films ever and one of the most influential. But Given the thankless task of trying to remake perfection, he actually did a really good job with it. And it might explain um, a lot about why this film uh, uses Douglas Slocum's cinematography to create a claustrophobic environment in this house, which uses so much German expressionist noir and neo-noir lighting, composition, camera angles to put over the fact that this is a world becoming more and more distorted as the film goes along. And I, I think the, the house is quite a character in itself. Mm. Certainly later on, it does have that kind of brooding presence. And I know you wanted to, to bring in another uh, yeah, it, another similar film, uh, which is Performance. Absolutely. And again, in, in West London a few years later. But again, this house has a, the, you know, the class difference is maybe slightly different in that later film. But again, the, the, the house in that has this brooding presence. Yeah, Performance is just this incredible echo of the servant. Um, so uh, it... it it was um, released, um, uh, it was directed by Nicholas Rogue and Donald Kamel um, and released in 1970. Uh, but it was actually filmed in 1968, um, which is such a, in Europe, in, in America, was such a very key year in terms of the world festering on the edge of a breakdown. Um, and it stars Mick Jagger and it also stars James Fox and... It also uh, revolves around a house in West London that becomes like a prison for Edward Fox's, sorry, James Fox's character. Um, it also involves sex 
and drugs being a huge part of the breaking down mm. of this character. It also involves polymorphous perversity and it also involves the idea that James Fox's character, his personality is broken down by the other male protagonist. Yeah, yeah. And um, and almost, and in fact, in, in a more overt way than the servant, it dissolves completely. Um, the difference is... Um, James Fox is playing, uh, you know, an upper class toff in uh, a servant, and in performance he's playing an East End thug. Couldn't be yeah. more opposite. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I mean, he's he's great in performance, not knocking him, but you know, he's more convincing as an upper class toff because that's kind of yeah. his background. And um, and this, and performance is a fabulous film and very close to my heart and everything, but it ain't the servant. Uh, the servant is a masterpiece, and performance is a, is a flawed. But really, really brave movie that's kind of culty. But the servant is something deeper and more profound. Yeah, I think. yeah. I think let's um, let's 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 talk about the women because the women are are both great in this as well. So Wendy Craig, who you may know from seventies TV sitcoms like Butterflies, plays Susan, the uh, fiance of Tony, and it's very much implied that. Susan is kind of more middle class, whereas Tony's aristocratic. Yeah, definitely. So Susan doesn't really know how to behave around servants. For Tony, it doesn't matter that Barrett's kind of on the threshold while they're kind of making out or whatever. For mm. Susan, it really, really does matter. And she doesn't know how to be with Barrett. She sees him as a threat, mm. whereas aristocratic people don't. They are just part of the furniture, your servants. They're not, mm. they're not anything you need to worry about. And she she's quite cruel to him in a way that, you know, he will repay later on because mm. he's not one to forgive and forget those kind of slights. She says to him at one point, do you wear deodorant? Yeah. Which is devastating. such a devastating thing to say. And then another time he's serving some wine and him and Tony are having a, a chat about the wine. Susan doesn't know anything about the wine, um, but he's wearing white gloves. And she's like, why are you wearing gloves? And he's like, well, they you know, they're, they're worn in Italy and, and, and Spain, madam. And she's like, goodbye. And she really kind of punctures his pretension yeah. mm. to know about stuff. And this is not something that he's going to, he's going to easily forgive. Um, and Wendy Craig's kind of good in it, actually. She is oh, good. Oh, I think she's better than good. I Vera Miles. Sarah Miles. Uh, Sarah Miles as Vera is incredible. She's not an actress I really rate. I find her a bit affected, a bit... Mm. Uh, I think she's great in this. So she plays this kind of shy little... She's presented as Barrett's sister. She's clearly very much not Barrett's sister. But she's kind of this shy northern girl that he's kind of taken under his wing. And she's got this innocent kind of sexiness. Um, and as I said, there's a scene where Barrett has uh, gone to fake. He's mm. he's fake gone to see their supposed dying mother. But really, it's an opportunity to let uh, Vera and Tony be alone in the house because yeah. Yeah. He's, he sees that the best way to get rid of Susan is to get some kind of sexual hold on, on Tony. Yeah. And Vera's going to do that first. And so she's she kind of seduces him with this very kind of um, Barrett's Barrett's laid the ground by saying, "Oh, uh, sir, uh, you know I've had to have a word with Vera because her skirts are too short." Mm, yeah, and, all this, yeah, and there's yeah. another time where Tony kind of catches her having a bath in his in his own kind of private bathroom, and she's wearing a towel. And Barrett's like, "Get out of here!" You know the yeah, fake yeah, outrage of, yeah. "Oh, sir, I don't know what's come over her." But all it's it's a chance for the dog to see the rabbit, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. And so she seduces him while Bob Barrett's away to the sound of like a dripping tap. Yeah. With this sexual urgency getting ever kind of drip, 
drip, and it's like drip, 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 drip until he, he has to turn the, the the tap off, and he, you know, they end up they end up having sex. And when Barrett comes back, uh, Barrett kind of understands, of course, what's going on because he's arranged it all, and he says to to Tony, uh, "So while I was away, sir, did Vera manage to do anything for you?" And Tony's like, <clears throat> "Well, <clears throat> she's 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 under the weather," and Barrett says. She's under the what, sir? <laughs> and it's so impudent and cheeky. So Sarah Miles, I think, is 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 really really good in this. And uh, there's a bit where she's uh, smoking a cigarette. She's wreathed in smoke, like um, if you get this reference, Vanilla Fielding in Carry On Screaming, where she says, "Mind if I smoke?" Um, and it just it just really made me uh, kind of uh, think of that and and laugh. Yeah. But I think both the women are are kind of really good and really really key in this. Absolutely. This is, yes, it, the central protagonists are Bogard and Fox, but the two female characters are absolutely crucial. This is a, a game of four, uh, not a game of two. And it is a game. Uh, it's a power game, which we're watching played out. And if either of the performances um, are not up to it, 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 yeah, it would just be a bit lame. I I love Sarah Miles and I'm not knocking her at all. I think Wendy Craig is on fire. I I kind of um I managed to track down a BBC documentary from only 2021 where amazingly they they actually had Wendy Craig uh, contributing in a in a conversation about the servant. And she she was quite interesting about some of the details. Mm-hmm. Um Joseph Losey um was ill. Um he was really not a well man during the making of the servant, and at one point he was so ill uh, he caught pneumonia. They were doing some outside shooting. He caught pneumonia. Oh, really? Uh, and he, he had to leave the shoot for two weeks. Um, Dirk Bogard directed the movie for two weeks. Oh, really? Basically, he went to Losey's hospital bed, got the notes from Losey about what he wanted, went and directed the movie. Um, I had no clue that this was a case. Wow. I had no clue he had it in his locker. Can you imagine an actor today doing that and keeping quiet about it? I know. <laughs> Can you? No. Good God Almighty! You know, but it, yeah, we we wouldn't ever hear the end of it. Um, so, but what one of the things that Wendy Craig was saying was that Joseph Losey was a very very cold mm. uh, and authority, authoritarian uh, man on the set. Um, you know, there was all these critics in in you know in the documentary, and they're all like, "So how was it being on the set?" And she was like, um, "I think she actually says." Well, actually, uh, it was quite heavy going and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, tell it like it is, Wendy. <laughs> um, because they all had a kind of slightly uh, magical view of what it might have been like. Yeah. Um, uh, but she said that he, he was not a happy man um, and that she told this story about how, um, because she, it was a brilliant piece of casting. She, yes, um, she became famous in Britain later on for being a sitcom actress and she played the nice middle-class girl or nice middle-class woman. Um, but that's what she'd been doing in the theatre when she got cast um, and it was Dirk Bogard's idea. Really? He'd seen her and said, I think she's perfect. And she really was this person. She was a nice girl, she would say, you know, and she said, you know, she tells this great story about, um, I'm one of these actors that basically... Uh, I play my scene and then I stop acting. 
<laughs> um, I'm not really one of those people who stays in character once, you know, uh, somebody shouted cut. And uh, what I like to be on a happy-go-lucky set uh, where everybody gets along. And what I do, I, I bring in a bag of sweets every day and, and then offer them around. And um, I, I came in and I offered a bag of sweets. And uh, and suddenly Joe, as she said to him, mm. uh, pulled me aside and said, could I have a word? And he just said, cut the sweets. <laughs> and she said he said it with such a coldness I never brought any sweets <laughs> in again <laughs> But I, I could see if you're if you're trying to to maintain this kind of class antagonism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, not everybody's method, are they? But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, yeah. She didn't have much insight into whether he was being method or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But what she did say about Bogard was that he mentored her through that film. She'd never done any film. That was her first oh, really? film role. She'd never done any filming, so she didn't know about things like. You you stand there, you do the scene once, and then the camera will move, and then you have to do it again. Yeah. Uh, she he said she told he told her everything she had to do, and that he was just you know he got her through the film, and considering he has a reputation himself, Dirk Bogart, he was a cold fish, mm. you know, and he was a bit disillusioned uh, and repressed. Yeah, I mean, you can understand if that was the case. So he's had to he's had to keep himself kind of closeted yeah, throughout his life. Definitely, uh, you got to be careful who not just who you confide in, but who you who you warm to, because you've got this massive freak secret that you've got to keep, not just at risk of your career, but actually in 1963 at risk of jail. Yeah. So was was he like that on set then? Um, well, apparently, you know, on according to Wendy Craig's experience, no, mm. um, he mentored her, her through that shoot. Um, she he was the reason she was cast um so and she said she saw him you know she visited him before you know uh, you know when he had a stroke much later in life um which isn't the kind of thing you do when somebody's just been a cold True. cold True. fish to you 50 years you know 40 years earlier True. so um so um but Dirk Bogard I guess it, it, this is a good time to talk about the fact that this was a career changer for him um one of the interesting things, there's a really interesting book by David Thompson about gay sexuality in movies. And one of the things that he does in it is he contrasts, compares and contrasts Dirk Bogard and Rock Hudson, who were kind of operating, you know, contemporary to each other. Mm. And how Rock Hudson um, <clears throat> suffered um, uh, until, you know, his untimely death with the fact that he never did any roles which spoke to who he really was. He never went anywhere close yeah. to doing so. He stuck with the stereotype. That's where he was steered. Um, that's how to make money, etc. Um, you know, of, of being the tough guy, um, the tough heterosexual guy. Um, Bogard from 1963 onwards went on an odyssey uh, completely different to the early part of his career, uh, he worked with Visconti on Death in Venice. He worked with uh, Joseph Losey again. Uh, he became the kind of darling of European cinema mm. at, at one point. He, you know, he was in The Night Porter, which was a famously kind of, I think, quite sleazy, but it was a challenging, brave film to have taken on. Um, and a lot of his roles either directly spoke of homosexuality or, or very, you know, very overtly put it, you know, covertly put it over yeah. and, and and were... He went from matinee idol to art cinema. Yeah. And that was his deliberate choice, not 
something that he settled for because he wasn't big anymore. It it, it was his choice. And also, of course, he wrote these autobiographies yes. that were just massively successful, but somehow managed to avoid... Yeah, any mention of being gay. <sighs> yeah, mm-hmm. which is yeah, it just goes to your point, Lindsay, about how difficult must that be your whole life? Yeah. You know, you can never just be open about who and who you are. Yeah. I just want to say something else, actually, about James Fox, um, which is that after he was in performance, um, these were two incredibly intense roles he did within four years of each other. Very, very similar. He, he suffered some kind of breakdown and actually he left acting completely for, I think it was 13 years uh, and became an evangelical Christian really? preacher. Um and went back to but went back to back acting in um, 1981, and and continued. Um, he, his last screen credit was 2018, so only five years ago. By which time he was 79 years old, which oh, was right. fair enough, perhaps to, to yeah, retire. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, Lindsay, what should we choose? What what should should our object to be uh, to measure the weirdness and greatness of the servant? I think convex mirrors. Convex mirrors. Showing a society upside down. (laughs) Excellent. So for the servant, what do you say? I say, I think it it, it is a weird film. And and at the time, you know, even now it's weird, but at the time when those class um, barriers were so fixed, I'm going to say nine for weirdness and nine for quality. Nine convex mirrors for quality. What about you? Absolutely the same amount of convex mirrors in both. Nine and nine. It's a weirdo masterpiece. Uh, and I think a bit of a, branch, a benchmark that kind of changed British cinema um, for the better. So that was The Servant. And the final score is Manchester United 2, Chelsea 0. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.